0: As many of you know, uh, maybe not everybody, but a lot of you know, uh, I got to have a sabbatical this past fall and I'm just now, or not just now, I'm, I'm back into work uh, about two months uh, strong at the moment. And that sabbatical was, it was great. It was a much needed rest uh, for me. Now that I'm back, one of the things that I need to be doing is going through all of the email that I missed when I was gone for three and a half months. Yes, three and a half months of email, and uh, I've been doing that slowly. Uh, I think as of this morning, I have five hundred and eighty-two unread conversations still inside Gmail. So, uh, got a ways to go. I apologize if I haven't responded to you yet. I'm just starting to realize, though, how much junk mail I get. You know, most of it is not bad. I haven't gone into spam to find out, but I would say that ninety-five percent of the stuff that I get uh, is just not something that I have time or desire to read. And and here's what what I've noticed about a lot of it. I am on a lot of so-called insider mailing lists. Maybe you've been put on some of these too. So, I mean, get this, I am an insider at Sam's Club and eBay and 1-800-CONTACTS and also Barnes and Noble, but that's not much of a surprise if you know me. I had no idea that I was so special. To be an insider in so many places, I, I just didn't realize that this was coming to me. But it, it does sort of cause me to worry and wonder and ask the question, am I that special? You know, I, one of these insider lists that somehow I, I've been put on was one where I am given the esteemed honor of giving feedback to a publishing company on possible book titles and cover art. I'm not sure what I did to qualify for that. I'm guessing the bar was not super high, but there I am. So, you know, maybe this is a little silly, uh, but it, it makes me ask: What is it that might might make me an insider to these things? And for that matter, what makes any of us an insider to any list or group? there's probably only a very small subset of groups that any one of us really cares enough about to want to become insiders to. But when we do care, when it's really important, we kind of have to figure that out. What do I need to do to get inside? How do I become an insider, so to speak? What makes the difference, when it counts, between being an insider and an outsider? We're studying the Gospel of Mark this semester here at TCBC, and we're doing it especially with a view to its message that Jesus Christ is the King. Mark's gospel is presenting Jesus as this figure who's this long-awaited, long-promised King of Israel. He's the fulfillment of God's ancient promises to rescue his people and to establish his kingdom on earth. But Jesus is also being presented As the king, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. And that's a picture that's still unfolding as we are reading the gospel of Mark. We're only a few weeks into it now. But the more that we dig into this claim and we we hear what Jesus says, we see what Jesus does. There's something that we're confronted with. If Jesus really is this anointed king, why doesn't everybody follow him? if he's that popular, not popular, if he's that powerful, if he is who the gospel is presenting him to be, why doesn't everybody actually follow him as king? Now that's a question for us today just as as much as it was for the original readers or listeners of Mark's gospel and the people who the gospel itself is telling the stories about. What is it that makes the difference between following or not following Jesus as king? Well, one overly simple answer to that question is that people are sinful. People just don't want to follow. They don't want to follow maybe Jesus in particular. They don't want to follow a king. They want to have their own life being in their own control. Well, that's true enough. But when we read the Gospel of Mark, we have to come to grips with the fact that some of these people who are sinful in the story, they do follow Jesus as king. Some of those sinners became insiders to God's kingdom, but many others, many, many others did not. They stayed outsiders to God's kingdom, even when they were hearing all the same words and they were seeing all the same things about Jesus. So what is it that makes the difference? What is it that separates those who follow Jesus as king and those who don't? Is it as simple as getting on God's insider email list? You know, you just Follow his Facebook group and you're automatically following the king? Or is it something more than that? I certainly hope so. Turn with me to Mark chapter four. We're going to look at that together. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it from my Mark uh, scripture journal. If you didn't pick one of these up yet, come next Sunday. We've got a whole bunch of them here at the church office. Uh, But Mark chapter four, verses one through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixty-fold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. So it's a farming story, but farming is just the convenient metaphor that Jesus uses to talk about how different people respond to God's word, but also nestled in the middle of this story here is this little section in verses 10 through 12 about the so-called secret of the kingdom. Whatever that secret is, Jesus' insiders, his disciples, those who follow him as king, they apparently have it but those on the outside who don't follow him as king, they don't have it. At first glance, hearing something like that could sound a little harsh, could seem kind of exclusive, and maybe that's why some of those people remained outsiders. So it really begs a question for us, what is going on here? What is Jesus saying? Well, first we need to see how this parable how this whole passage fits with the rest of the gospel of mark as we've read it so far this parable begins chapters four and five which is a section of jesus teaching about the nature of the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is is sort of a shorthand way it pulls a lot into it but it's a shorthand way of saying god's reign on earth over people chapter four is full of these story parables most of which are about seeds growing and being fruitful There's this parable of the sower. The next one is about a lamp and a basket, but then it goes to the growing seed and the mustard seed. Then in chapter five, we get a whole, well, we get a few action parables where Jesus does something that shows more of God's kingdom and shows more of who Jesus is. He calms a storm. He heals a demon-possessed man. He heals a bleeding woman. He raises a girl from the dead. And the parable of the sower stands at the beginning of all that and sets the stage for all of those things. But we also need to see what this parable is following. These kingdom parables in chapter 4 come on the heels of several stories about unbelief or even outright opposition to what Jesus says and does. He appears on the scene in chapter 1 with very strong hints that this is the king that we have all been waiting for. He teaches and he acts with the authority and the power of God. But as people start to gather around him, only a small number seem to really believe that he could be this special king. The crowds are amazed by him, but mostly they're just interested in what they can get out of him. What what can Jesus do for them? And then the religious leaders, that's a whole other story, they have a far more negative view of Jesus his words and his actions really provoke them. And they, they watch him hanging out with people that they consider sinful beyond the pale. He doesn't follow all their religious rules. And so by even the beginning of chapter three, the religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus. And so here is this man, this electrifying and polarizing figure, Jesus of Nazareth, Crowds are flocking to him for miracles and healings. The religious leaders are boiling over with anger, but only a few people actually stick around and follow him as king. And so again, our question, what is it that makes the difference? Well, apparently it's all in the soil. Jesus tells the parable in verses 3 through 9, and then he explains it in verses 13 through 20. And that explanation is actually super helpful. It's the only parable of Jesus that he ever explains, and he does it that way uh, when the story is told in Matthew, here in Mark, and then also in the Gospel of Luke. And so with that explanation there, it makes the basic meaning of the parable pretty easy to grasp, and it all has to do with our response to Jesus' words. So there's a sower, a farmer, who's planting seed for his crop. It's pretty clear that the sower is supposed to be God in this story because the seed is God's word. And then there are these four types of soil, and they're representing four types of people, the ones in whom God is planting the seed of his word. And so these types of human hearts and human lives are where the difference is found between those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow him as the king. The soil along the path, this is earth that is hard packed down from constant travel. Seeds can never, never actually penetrate that kind of ground. And so they just stay on the surface and then eventually are snatched away. That soil is the hardened heart that has no openness to God's word. Whatever message from the Lord that person might hear, it just stays on the surface of their life It's dry and it's sterile until it's finally gone. And Jesus suggests in this part of the the explanation that there's actually an enemy, an enemy that we were introduced to in the previous chapter, which Brian mentioned last week, who's actively looking to snatch that seed away from us. Then there's this rocky ground. It's thin, it's gravelly, it's low quality topsoil. Seeds can initially germinate, but they can't sink their roots deep enough to get a water supply. And so under harsh conditions, when it's too hot or it's too dry, that seedling is scorched and it's dead. This soil is that person who initially receives God's word with joy, but doesn't have the kind of environment for that word to sustain them through difficulties and through trials, even through persecution. And keep in mind that Mark's original readers were Christians who had experienced Roman persecution, had had probably even seen some of their fellow believers recant their faith or deny that Jesus was, in fact, their king. The third kind of soil is what Jesus describes as being among thorns. So this soil might initially look pretty good. It's, It's soft. It's probably rich in nutrients. It takes seeds in well it doesn't have rocks like the gravelly soil and so roots can you know go somewhat deep to find water but ground like that also allows for weeds and thorns to grow up they can take root and they, they grow right alongside the good plants weeds steal the nutrients from the soil and once they if they're the large and leafy kind they can also start to crowd out the sun some are even invasive and they're you know, directly harmful to plants that we want to have growing there. And so this kind of soil is the person who receives God's word, begins to follow Jesus faithfully, even joyfully, but doesn't give attention and energy to tending the garden of their life. They didn't take care of certain spiritual weeds when they were small, the little sin here and there. That habit that they thought nobody else could see, so what's the big deal? Or that subtle attitude that was always lurking there in the background and they never did anything about. Jesus actually names some important categories of spiritual weeds. He talks about the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. I don't think he means this to be an exhaustive list, but this is definitely a stop and consider list. I think this is actually where the greatest danger lies for me, and it could be the case for many of you too. Particularly for me, I I think it's what Jesus calls the cares of the world here. I get more stressed about things than is really warranted by circumstances. And I allow my concern about all that, my feelings of overbearing responsibility, to distract me from, from what I really should be focused on, knowing and following Jesus. I am not a great multitasker. And so I often feel like the different roles that I fill or the hats that I wear, you know, husband, father, pastor, friend, son, brother, neighbor, citizen, all these different things are vying for my attention. They divide my attention and they raise my anxiety. And they keep me from being present to others and loving others. And most importantly, hearing and following Jesus. None of those roles is a bad thing. They're all very good. I need to learn how to have all of them be there at the same time and not be overwhelmed by them and make them cares of the world. So cares like that and more, they need to be weeded out as soon as we see them, or they will eat up what really gives us life. The good plants get choked out, and they never yield the flowers. They never yield the the vegetables, the fruit, the produce that they're supposed to. They never bring about what they were designed to bring about in the kingdom of God. But finally, we get to the good soil. Here's the deep, rich soil that's well-tended. The gardener puts in time and energy, cultivating the the sort of conditions for seeds to thrive and become mature, fruitful plants. That kind of work shows up in the harvest eventually. This is the person who, who doesn't simply let God's word sit there on the surface of their lives, but does the constant work of identifying rocks and plucking weeds and aerating and fertilizing and watering the soil to keep it soft and fresh. This is the person who intentionally invests time into their relationship with God. They spend time in his word. They uproot sin when they recognize it through confession and repentance. They obey God's voice, even imperfectly. In short, they keep following Jesus as king. And so there's the answer to our question. What's the difference between the insiders and the outsiders to God's kingdom? between those who follow Jesus as king and those who don't according to the parable of the sower it's being good soil but then of course we have to ask how do you be good soil what does that mean well Jesus hides the answer right in plain sight for us it's by bearing fruit and what that fruit is bound up with or i mean what that fruit is is bound up with that short section between the parable and the explanation in that secret of the kingdom section in verses 10 to 12. These verses are kind of a, a Rosetta stone for interpreting Jesus' parables. They're sort of an encryption key for unlocking how they work. When the crowds finally disperse, Jesus' disciples gather around him to ask him what the parable of the sower really means. And just before he tells him that, he says that they his followers, who believe that he is the king, have been given the secret of the kingdom. They're the insiders. They're about to get the insider explanation. But those on the outside, they only get the parable. They don't get the explanation as well. And then very significantly, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. He takes them back to Isaiah chapter 6. His original readers would have recognized this very quickly. He does that to describe why that's the case. And here's how it reads in a different translation called the message. Jesus said, these are the people, the outsiders, whose eyes are open, but don't see a thing, whose ears are open, but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face and getting forgiven. Do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. What Jesus is saying here is that he uses parables on purpose in order to sift the hearts of his listeners. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are in and the crowds and the Pharisees are out, not because Jesus says they're in or out, but because of what the parables do. It doesn't mean that the disciples understand everything or all the time. They definitely don't understand everything all the time, and we'll actually see that in the passage that Brian preaches on next week, or Austin preaches on next week, sorry. But the difference is that those who are on the inside get there by listening, by sticking with the parable, and by pressing into Jesus for more. Those who don't do that, they stay on the outside. They hear Jesus teaching, and they see Jesus' actions but they don't pursue understanding. They don't pursue him. And so the implicit message to us as readers of Mark's gospel is you need to respond to this parable too. Don't just let your eyes skim over the words on the page or the sound waves wash against your ears. Listen to the words of Jesus and act on them if you're going to understand anything else that he has to say. You need to learn the secret of pressing into Jesus, bringing your confusion, bringing your doubts, your questions straight to him rather than brushing him off. So how do we be good soil? It's by bearing the fruit of pressing into Jesus to know him more. That's the fruit that good soil produces. Whether we understand a little or a lot or absolutely nothing at all we keep coming to Jesus, not just for an intellectual understanding of what he's saying, but for a relationship with him. We started by asking this question, what makes the difference between following and not following Jesus as the king? What's the difference between being an insider and an outsider in God's kingdom? Well, the parable of the sower is making it very clear that it's not by getting on the right email list. More importantly, it's not about having all the right answers or being in the right religious circle. I mean, the Pharisees, who we've been reading about earlier in the Gospel of Mark, they were the religious insiders of the day, and they completely missed the boat. They were outsiders to Jesus. The only circle that matters is the circle of people who are coming to Jesus, who are Pressing into him to know him more, to ask him for more. Lord, speak to me. Help me to understand. Help me to believe. Help me to know you. And so there's the question Is that what you are doing with Jesus? What makes all the difference in following the King of the universe is how you respond to Jesus, what kind of soil you are. And so I hope you can hear how important this is to reflect on. Let me suggest a couple of questions to kind of guide your response to this and your reflection on it for the the week ahead. First of all, what soil are you most like right now and why? So are you the hard packed, dry ground along the path? Remember, that's the kind of person who is exposed to Jesus' words, even maybe even hearing them right now today, But they simply stay on the surface of your life you're not acting on them you're not really even reflecting on them generally is that you or are you the rocky soil you're able to take in god's word a little bit maybe even experiencing some initial sparks of joy as you do that but is your life so full of obstacles to good root systems to god's word really getting a foothold in your life that you're in danger of losing whatever early growth appears? Are you even in some pretty harsh conditions for following Jesus? You know, a a career field or a major or a circle of friends that is just not going to accept a choice to follow Jesus as king. Is that you? Or are you the thorny ground, the weedy ground? Maybe kind of looking like good soil, seeing some good things growing, but the weeds and the thistles are mixed in and growing right alongside. Maybe some of those weeds have been there for a while. Uh, Maybe some of them are really starting to leaf out and thistle up or stand in the way of you pressing into Jesus. Is that you? Or can you celebrate ways in which you are good soil? Remember, the mark of fruitfulness in this parable isn't just producing good spiritual stuff For God or for others to see, fruitfulness, as the parable of the sower describes it, is pressing into Jesus, continuing to seek him, to ask questions, to obey what he says. So that's the first question right there. What soil are you most like right now and why? So, second, once you've identified that, what needs to happen for you to become good soil, for you to become fertile ground? If your life is really being lived along the path, what changes, maybe major changes, are in order for you? You're living in a way that is not giving Jesus' words the consideration they deserve. You're aware of it falling all around you. Maybe you hear it even kind of frequently, but you really don't pay attention to it as the birds just snatch it away. How do you need to come away from the hard-traveled paths of your life? Your life as it has been, in order to take some time to really listen to God's word to you in scripture. Think about that. Now, if you are the rocky soil, what rocks do you need to remove in order to allow God's word to set down some, some good roots in you? So these aren't simply distractions, but soil conditions that can't sustain a faith in Jesus for the long haul through trials and through adversity. What are the obstacles to God's word having more than just a surface level presence in your life? What are the things that put God's word in danger of being scorched by the heat and the the drought of normal life? What if you're thorny ground? What is the weeding and the garden tending that you need to do? What has grown up alongside God's word in your life and is robbing its vitality in you? What are the concerns or the fears Or here's a big one, what are the other loves? What are the things that you are loving so much that it threatens to choke out the kingdom of God in you? What's getting more time and attention than cultivating your ability to hear Jesus speaking and to receive Jesus' love? And if you're the good soil, hallelujah, how are you gonna stay good soil? What commitments do you need to make or renew in order to ensure that you are someone in whom God's word can bear fruit, the kind of faith that keeps pressing in to know Jesus and that obeys him out of love. Maybe you're leaving today with more questions than answers. That's okay. You know what to do with them. Press into Jesus. That's what makes this dirty difference in following him as king. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you for your word and for its power in our lives. We do not understand all of it, but we know that you love us and we know that you are speaking to us through it. Help us, Lord, so that nothing would be holding us back from letting your word take root in us, from us pressing in